0: to anime on the sea to sky episode 37 i'm a bit of a early episode this time around and that's not necessarily the only surprise that's been coming around over the past two weeks or so considering that somehow snow was able to albeit briefly make its way all the way down to the coast and all the way into the ground inside at city level considering that even though the majority of the snow has already been falling and there have been a lot of good opportunities and one of the reasons why i'm going to be Releasing this one relatively early is because I'm probably going to be AFK up in the mountains going to ski and have the opportunity to at least experience some of the snow that's been falling over the past couple of weeks. But the fact that it was able to get all the way down to city level and ground level and make its way through was more than enough of a pleasant surprise to kind of wake up to. Thankfully, it was a little bit to at least fall on the ground, to at least give a nice dusting and a nice bit of atmosphere towards the rest of the city, but not too much that it would legitimately dismantle and undermine like everybody's driving ability, considering that I would imagine that 99% of people inside of uh, Vancouver don't necessarily have their snow tires on or prepared for at least something to come around this time. But besides that, a few things to cover over the past week and a half, considering that Studio Orange, the studio behind uh, their two major successes as of late, both Beastars and Hoseki no Kuni, or in this case Land of the Lustrous, has reiterated and revamped their Beastars title on their Twitter handle to be Beastars Final Season. So, it's in production. It's happening. Orange is going to produce one more season of Beastars, and we don't know when it's going to be coming out, considering that they haven't given a release date yet. So it's been kind of great to hear that news, is that they're finally going to be able to complete that story. The bad news is is that we're going to have to wait an even longer time for Land of the Lustrous Season 2 to come out. And considering the hiatus, that is now reaching about a year in length for any of the manga updates or any of the manga chapters to be coming out is just kind of a bit of a give and take, as it's just... I love Studio Orange a Bits considering that everything they've touched so far has been an enjoyable experience to me one way or another. But the only negative thing I can say about them is just that they can only focus on one or two projects at the same time because of uh, like how small they are in comparison. So hopefully at some point in time we'll be able to go through and get a new Hoseki chapter or a new Hoseki season. But I guess all we can do is just continue to wait. And I guess just a little bit of a quick note, considering that for those who were interested in figuring out when the next new part of Demon Slayer's uh, season was going to be coming out for actual new content instead of it being a recap of the film, this week, or at least when I'm recording now, this is the week of December 6th to 12th, the the 8th episode of the series at least for Season 2, is now out, and this is going to be the first episode of the Entertainment District Dark. So if y'all have been waiting for nearly two months at this point in time to finally get on to new animated content related to Demon Slayer, now you can finally jump through. Considering that there weren't that many notable changes or notable like major differences in comparison to the movie broadcast in terms of the television broadcast, the only major, like, difference is that for the first episode of the season, we ended up getting a new episode focused solely on Rengoku. So, I don't know, to each their own. Uh, we're finally They finally were able to put out, I believe it was like a 45-minute episode, but at least five minutes of those were recap. so I don't know what exactly can you do, but finally, we got new Demon Slayer content. Now, the Oscars, in particular... Even though, I understand, like me, not many people give a shit anymore considering, like, how many viewers it's been losing consistently over the past several years. And with all the backgrounds and the amount of lobbying and with the majority of the impact that the nominations even have to get in the first place where it's mostly just a buy-in rather than an actual grade of quality. Regardless, they finally ended up uh, putting out their eligible nominations for at least animated films for the Best Animated Film category. And so at least among those that were anime films or produced inside of Japan, you have Maru Hosoda's Belle, you have Studio 4C's Fortune Favors Lady Nieruka, which I believe ended up getting a Canadian premiere at one of the Ontario film festivals, but I wasn't able to go through. Although Jose the Tiger and the Fish also was able to get a nomination, Happy Sciences, The Laws of the Universe, The Age of Elohim is something that is so far outside of my knowledge that I didn't know it existed until now, but I don't know, I guess it's there. Um, Pompo the Cinephile ended up uh, getting a nomination as well, which was something that got released over the course of this summer, but I thought I was going to give it a watch, and then it completely slipped my mind, and as I was not reminded of its existence until today. So I guess at some point in time I'll probably give that a watch and kind of see how it compares to the rest of the nominees. And then finally, you end up getting another one of Four Cs Productions, which is Pompeii of Chimney Town, which was a picture book adaptation of one of their novels done by Akira Also, one that I haven't necessarily gone through and given a watch, so I guess that's going to go through. So at least Bell in Canada. I know that Bell has had. Uh, North American premieres at a couple of anime cons like down in the States I know that there have already been a lot of European screenings going around and so It's gone through and I've heard good things about it and I really want to watch it But at least for me in particular the Canadian screening doesn't jump up here until January 14th So I guess I'll just have to wait an extra bit to kind of see how that goes through but it definitely seems like of all the Japanese directors that have been going through it definitely seems like the board of directors, or... Uh, it's not the board of directors for... uh Oh, the Academy. So it definitely seems like the Academy is just using Mamoru Hosoda, it feels, to be like, oh, so you're going to be our new Japanese representative of anime and animation worldwide. Because I don't know why they definitely decided to pick him, but it definitely seems like, regardless of what Mamoru Hosoda does, every single time he does make a film, which hasn't necessarily been the best as of late, because I didn't really... Like Mirai as much as the next person. So I'm definitely going to be curious to see how that's going to be translating towards the rest of his nominations. But at least for this case, I've heard nothing but good things about Bell and I can't wait to see it in theaters once it comes out in January. And so in comparison to the rest of the news, this was kind of one of the most undersold pieces of content that essentially ended up getting revealed as of today, or at least not today, or over a couple of days ago. But it's just that casually netflix ended up re- unveiling a new original anime film called bubble and that's going to be debuting on netflix worldwide on april 28th next year and it'll also be in japanese theaters but that's also just kind of beside the point because just netflix casually just dropped this series and for me it would have just been completely understandably like just like something that i would have written off and just kind of like f- have left forgotten just like it did pompeii back in uh the summer and the only thing that they gave where it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's with Studio and it's done by Tesuo Rocky, who is the same director as Attack on Titan. And it's like, okay, yeah, no, that's that's fine. But I think I'll just kind of like give it some time and see once it comes out what people think of that. And it's like, oh, yeah, no. And then we've got um, the script written by Gena Robuchi. And it's been years since I've heard that man, like, penning an anime script, whether for television or for film. But it's like, this is the dude that ended up doing Puella Magi Madoka Magica. He ended up doing the Fate Zero adaptation. He was the one that wrote for the entire, or at least the first season of Psychopaths. Well, the Aura Butcher is really good at what he does. And then it's just like, oh yeah, we're just going to drop, like, regular character designs by Takeshi Obata, who is the one that ended up doing Death Note and Platinum End. And then the soundtrack is going to be done by Hiroyuki Saono, who also did the majority of the composition and composing for Attack on Titan and 86. And so it's just kind of like, wait, what? Oh yeah, and then we're just going to put Mamoru Miyano and Yuki Kaji as, like, two of the main characters. It's like, what are you—why is this not on your front page? It's like we're literally just getting a who's who. We're like grabbing the Avengers and ass- assembling the Avengers. Sorry. But it's just kind of like, really? That's that's the cast that you're going to go through? And it's like, oh, you know, this is just, you know, done by Witch Studio. And it's done by uh, the director of Attack on Titan. So this is going to be coming out in April. Have fun we guys. And it's like, no, this is something you sell. This is something you promote to the highest degree. And it's just going to be an afterthought for you guys? Like... The fact that you ended up grabbing them in the first place to, for them to produce this film, it's like this kind of cast that you bring together is just not something that's incredibly ordinary. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's gonna be coming out globally on April 28th. So, I mean, hopefully it lives up to the expectation that the cast that they've been able to bring together has done to itself. So I don't know, let's just kind of see what happens. And so I guess over the past like week or so, I've been trying to figure out when I essentially would have wanted to do this episode, considering that the most recent three episodes of this series ended up coming out just over a week ago, and I really, really, really wanted to talk about it. And so in this case, I'm just going to like drop it casually. This is basically going to be a review and a wholehearted, glowing recommendation of the League of Legends Riot Netflix series Arcane. Produced by Studio Fortiche, who is a 3D animation studio that were based in Paris, that have a really good set of experience with the combination of 2D and 3D assets to make incredibly unique animation styles and projects for them to come to life, So for the other work that they decided to do, in this case, they've done a handful of advertisements in between for gorillas. they've done stuff for Converse, and that was in the small things when they ended up having their creation back in 2009. But in terms of stuff related to Riot Games in particular, it's we all know that the majority, the vast majority of the animated like miniseries and music videos and projects that they end up putting out have a high degree of polish whenever they decide to release it. And it's like, oh yeah, no, they casually did the Warriors music video for Worlds back in 2014. They casually did Echo's trailer when they were doing the Champion release. They just ended up putting out Rise, possibly one of my favorite music videos like, of anything related to video games, period. It's definitely, like, my favorite animation piece related to Riot Games. So they did Rise for Worlds 2018. They did the Pop Stars music video, which is essentially the closest I've ever come to thinking, huh, am I actually going to be getting into K-pop? Do I actually like K-pop? Is this what this... This extremely small video is doing to me. I don't know. It was incredibly interesting to kind of go considering the song was an absolute banger Of course like way way back They also did uh, like Jinx's music video get jinxed when they ended up releasing herb way back when and then of course the music video That's related to arcane of itself It's the enemy music video that showcases jinx and the majority of the characters that ends up getting put out in the series This was ended up like being co-written by Christian Link, who is not only a creative director, but also a composer that has been working at Riot Games for a number of years, and also done by Alex Yee, who is also in the same deal where he is a creative designer and has been sticking with Riot Games over the past eight-plus years. Which is really interesting to me, considering that, yes, both of them had hands in composing and writing the stories for a handful of characters that were introduced like way back when inside of the series so they already know about character design and character structure and how to essentially build a story behind characters and new ones being introduced into the game but the fact that they were able to coalesce all of this into a nine episode series was just like a complete shock in the sense that this was like a televised like length Netflix adaptation And so if you haven't necessarily like given like any hint to (laughs) the relevance in my voice is just that I love this show and the rest of this is going to be going into deep spoiler territory for the entirety of the Arcane series. So before I jump into all that and why I love this series so much, I will definitely just knock this off to tell all of you to go and give it a watch. Seriously, every single piece, every single finale and introduction to every single mini act that they decide to integrate inside of the story all of them have their pros. every single one of them has great moments of payoff and their own ways to shine so just take that opportunity and go watch it i'll be here when you come back okay so i'll just get the basic out of the way arcane quite possibly might be my favorite thing i've watched this year that's for stuff like In comparison to Odd Taxi, that's in comparison to Attack on Titan Season 4, that's in comparison to the first season of Invincible, that's in comparison to the final season of Castlevania's televised series. I mean, it is just absolutely insane what they were able to accomplish here. I ended up jumping on a little late in comparison to the rest of it, considering that the first three arcs, or the first three uh, episodes for the first act ended up coming out in November 6th. And they ended up doing like a weekly setup for the two acts that followed. So this all ended on November 20th and it began on November 6th. And I didn't start watching this series until the 17th. This was about halfway in between Acts 2 and 3. So I was able to go through and I was able to catch up finish all the episodes that I needed to go through so by the time the day that episodes 7, 8, and 9 came out, I was ready to watch them. Combined with the fact that this was one of my most enjoyable and memorable just viewing experiences I've had, considering that two of my buddies, Russell and Rhoda, were ending up to, like, inviting me over to their place because they had already seen everything and they had already caught up and they were waiting for the rest of it, It was just kind of like, okay, sick, I get to go through, we get to chat, we get to drink, we get to essentially enjoy this, like, two-hour segment, this two-hour film of the third act that you can, like, combine for the rest of it. And it was so fucking insane. Like, we were, I should have been speechless, but I was too fucking hyped. Like, part of it was the enjoyment, part of it was the quality, part of it was the alcohol, but as soon as the final piece and the window shatters at the ninth episode, I fucking popped off of my chair for the first time in years. And it was like, holy fucking shit, the birth of Zahn. This is fucking insane. Like, it was ridiculous. It, I would say, like, it, the series does have a little bit of a slow start, considering that even though it does, like, start off the series with, like, pre zons attempt at trying to cross the bridge it goes into a into a relatively like calm childish sort of beginning with like a little bit of just darkness and deceit that was just underplaying at least at the end of the first episode so it's just like every i can't like knock a single character on this like may, maybe maybe marcus cuz marcus was just like incredibly basic but the moments that he was able to like get in the like in the small like pieces that he was a part of was just still kind of like, you can see the conflict in, and especially when you show him where it's like, oh, he's also got a daughter that he has to take care of on top of everything else. It's just kind of like, Especially when Silco, like, just walks into the room and is just playing with his daughter in the calmest way possible, like, helping her build some stuff, and it's like, oh, he's so calm, he's he's so cute, she's so cute, and he's, like, acting like such a father figure, because he you know the jinx, except, like, we're, <laughs> like, my heart is still, because it's just kind of, like, we know how vicious Silco is, and it's just, like, casually going through and just being like, oh, yeah, no, I know where your daughter lives, and I know you lied to me, so I'm just gonna let this slide, but... You know exactly what I'm going to do if you fail me ever again, and if you lie to me, if you deceive me, if you try to betray me, I'm not the one who's gonna go after you. But at least the biggest like compliment, of course it's the one that everybody like continuously like praises at the beginning. It's it's just as soon as the bridge fight is over, and Vi and Powder and the rest of the crew are like standing on top of one of the buildings and you see a like bird's eye, near bird's eye level perspective of the entire city of Piltover is just kind of like, this is really big. Like the polish, the animation, the setup, the assets, like everything like lining up and building and finally showing off this world to us for the first time that we're able to see it in this way is like nothing short of like spectacular. It's just that everything like lining up to it, all like all the characters, all the set pieces, all the action, all the animation, all the... Big pieces, all the tiny micro reflections and changes in tone as well as in, like, facial expressions. Like, everything top to bottom, from the macro to the micro, is just done with such polish and such perfection that it is possibly, like, one of the best animated television series i've seen in years like it is way up there considering that there's just so much to unpack for the rest of this i just really want to try and get as much as i can and like vent as and just give as much praise to the show as i could possibly give because it's just going through so i guess we'll just go like not necessarily like i'll i'll line up the stuff at least for the for the first act because the first act slowly builds To the climax, which it ends up, like, foreshadowing at the end of this second episode. And leading into the roller coaster that is the third, is just absolutely insane. Because, I mean, we end up getting just bits and pieces, like, welcome to the playground, welcome to the world, welcome to this entire, like, setting that we're going to exercise conflict in every single episode and not going to give you a single second to breathe. It's just, like, the common introductions to characters that we've already seen, just the haphazard, like, we... Just nonchalantness of everything. I mean, this is definitely exactly what Breadsword was talking about in terms of his video on Tintin and living inside of the Shadows of Giants, considering that when he was talking about the Warcraft movie, which I don't necessarily have as much experience because I didn't play any of the games, but it was just kind of like what he was trying to do is that he decided to pick one of the weakest stories, which would have been in the first Warcraft game, and then kind of like just give, it's like, okay, well, here's this place, here's this place. It's not going to have any like plot relevance, it's not going to have like anything related to do with the plot, and it's also going to throw the plot in every which way possible because it's like, he's from this he's from this faction, he's from this warlord, he serves this king, he serves this master, he does this, he lives in this area of the city, and this area of the continent. It's just kind of like, okay, well, you're putting all this importance and all of this just really strenuous dialogue on top of this one act and this one phrase, but it's not like anybody outside of anybody who's played the games is going to have any idea of the significance or have any idea of exactly what you're talking about. Where it's just kind of like, okay, well, you're just going to... You put all of these, like, big revelations and, like, big names in front. And it's like, don't you know this man? Don't you know the king? He's... he's... he's an amazing figurehead. He is the one that is going to be leading the humans against the orc scourge. And it's just... what? Okay, I, I get it. But we don't really feel the same way as you're trying to just bring this upon anybody else. Whereas in Arcane, it's just, like, all the things where it's like, okay, so... Anybody stepping into this world, anybody stepping into this show or League of Legends or anything without even playing the games for the first time, like you don't know, you don't necessarily have anything to live up to, and so the show itself underplays all of the cards that it has inside of its hands, so at least in that case you essentially only have like all the smaller characters, like Milo and Clagger and Vander, and Silco, and like all these people who are champions, they're indistinguishable from the people who are champions. Where it's just kind of like, okay, yeah, no, anybody who's played the games knows that Powder's gonna be Jinx, and Vi is going to be, well, Vi, but none of the characters, which is perfect, because you're not supposed to oversell an adaptation. You are not supposed to use fan service as the main drag and the main curtain whenever you're trying to tell a story like this. And so the fact that all the characters that are introduced are given like the same kind of gravitas and the same kind of screen time and importance as everybody else, like makes this a legitimate story instead of something akin to like a fan fiction that somebody is trying to like build in with a high production and like a high profile, like quality and property that they've got. But in this case, like all of the references, all the major characters, they're underplayed to a degree that this could have been any other story. This could have been with any other set of characters. It didn't have to be League of Legends characters. That You could have told this story in a similar vein with the same quality, and it didn't have to be attached to any other quality. But the times that they do bring fan service, the times that they do just slip in just underhanded comments, like very tiny references, like pieces of League of Legends and things that, cha- that people who have been playing the game for years would get, but... Are so underplayed and like so minuscule that it puts a smile on my face for a brief second and then realizes, oh, yeah, no, this is not the importance. Because it's like, the, I, I don't know, pretty much the biggest concern for me, which would have been, like, through episodes one and two, where it was just, like, you had a handful of items in the pawn shop. You you ended up seeing a serrated dirk inside of Silco's warehouse. You saw a heart of gold and a philosopher's stone inside of the pawn shop that Vander and Vi normally frequented. And then the fact that Vander is called the Hound of Zaun gave me such a... Like, it was such a misdirect to the point where it's like, oh my god, Vander's in danger because he's probably going to be chemically malformed and transformed into Warwick. Because, like, The Hound of Zaun is just literally one of Warwick's titles. But... The, the Hound of Zahn is just, su- like, such a casual name that you could just throw to somebody, and it's like, oh yeah, so he's vicious, he's loyal, he's, like, he's able to get down dirty when he has to, but then in the in the context of it just being a name, it works, and then in context of being a reference, it works just as well. On top of the fact that it was, at the end of the day, completely misdirected me in the first act, in the sense that he ends up getting, like, falsely injected and killed with Shimmer, and he turns into something more of, like, a Dr. Mundo than a Warwick. But then, of course, in the final slideshow, at the end of episode 9, you see, like, Warwick and his claws hanging for the rest. And it's like, oh my god, they actually recouped his body and since has been working on Warwick as a side project for years, I'm just kind of like, yo, yo! Because, like, it's just such a small thing. It's literally just... Like, the fact that Singed has a daughter, and he still has a picture, and the fact that she's dead, and she's probably going to be turning into Oriana, and then you see this huge claw and this furry body hanging from the ceiling that's not even in full view, but you, but anybody who knows knows that that's the body of Warwick that is probably going to be coming into play in the second season, because it's just—like, that's how you do service. That's how you do—that's how you write— anything related to this work inside of it to the degree that it doesn't become overzealous, it doesn't take away from any of the writing or the story or the conflicts or the character interactions that are happening in between anything revolving around the story. It's fan service there is something that should be done very passively and very bit by bit and piece by piece and on a case by case basis. But yeah, we'll get to the end of it um, at another point. But yeah, no, it's just... All the small things leading up to it and then of course the fact that you know the the people of the lanes are very interested in like going through and like wanting this conflict to happen even though Vander literally years before was like yeah we tried and it failed miserably and we're going to get just completely like kicked underfoot again. But he's just barely holding the ship together. And then the conflicts of Jace and, like, bringing him in as a character. Like, he's a 20, he's a 20, I think he's 25 or 26 uh, in this first uh, act of the series. And the fact that he's still naive, but the whole entrance, or, or the his whole relationship with magic and which would go on to be coming Hextech, what they were able to show in like a couple of minutes and it's the same thing, where it's like oh, those are runes. Oh, that's a tear of the goddess that Rise ends up hanging uh, handing over to Jace at the end of it. Oh my god, the only person that can use that kind of ability is Rise, but for people who don't know who Rise is, this dude looks like a ridiculously awesome wizard that is able to, like, generate a teleportation spell just on a set of a whim. And, like, with the sound design, with the lighting, with the fact that, for so- to be fair, for some reason, Jason and his mother were, like, walking through the Friljord, or in this case, like, a very, uh like, mountainous region, and it's so like, I don't know why they were doing that. But just knowing that you know, but then not knowing at the same time, it doesn't necessarily matter. You can still get more out of it, but it still works as more than enough as a scene on its own to be like, yeah, this is Jace's motivation. This is why he's so indebted and passionate about magic. It's because without that magic, without that one man, which in this case was Rise, that were able to save him that day, both him and his mother would have probably perished in the mountains of the Freljord. And so they just did such a good job, like, lining up all their relations and the fact that it was like, whoa... I was expecting this to be, like, kind of a PG sort of thing, especially with how the kids were fighting, like, in the first episode. But the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, no, Jace is casually contemplating suicide. Like, he's almost going to go through with suicide after he was expelled from the Academy. He lost all of his work, all of his notes, all of his stones, all, all of his, like, magic pieces that he would have been able to research Hextech. He lost his building. He lost his office. He lost his partner and his... Uh, main funding for anything that he was going through. Like, he lost everything. And, like, the fact that he was so far gone that he was going to just off himself, completely understandable, but also dark to a degree where it's like, did that guy literally just, like, almost try it? And it's just like, holy shit. Which then I guess leading into Victor ending up, like, saving his life in the first act basically, and being like, oh yeah, no, I will help you, because I do, and Victor was just, for somebody who wouldn't have seen the show, and of course with what he becomes as a champion, was kind of like, oh, so he's the assistant to Heimer, but he's got a cane, and he's got this, like, real, he's got this passion that he always wants to move forward at a breakneck pace for some reason, and it seemed kind of sinister, at least what I what I saw on his face in episode two, and it was just kind of like, this is, uh, concerning, but he ends up, like, easily becoming, like, one of the best characters in the show by far. But it's definitely... Relating to anime, the three-episode rule has never been more poignant for Western animation than for Arcane itself. Because it. this show hits its stride in episode three. The base violence necessary for change. Because right off the bat, Silco... No, uh, Vander is incredibly proud that... To save, like, the Lanes and the rest of her family, Vi is willing to take the fall for everything that happened topside. Vander finds her first, and he's not going to let her do it. And Vander, as well as the sheriff that comes in, they're both, they both don't want to do this, but Vander thinks it's the only way that everything is going to be able to, like, hold safe. Which, honestly, because, like, even after he's gone at the end of the third episode, like, I don't know how that would have helped, but still, he just couldn't give up his daughter. He couldn't give up Vi. He couldn't give up his kids. This was the only thing that he had left in that world to protect besides the lanes. It was his priority. And then just out of nowhere, the sheriff dies. Like, Marcus is, like, ruled out as a betrayer and that he is being worked for Silco. And, like, Marcus... Like, I'm legitimately surprised that once you see Marcus again in episode four, where it's, like, he's still, like, under the hand of Silco and working for him, even after everything that happened, even after he he was handed blood money. Like, there's... There's a lot of good subtlety that happens in the show, but sometimes it's the one, the few times where they do decide to be incredibly on the point where it's like, oh yeah, no, blood money. You are literally just throwing away the gold medallions and coins that you got as payment in the blood of the people that you served, and it's just, yeah, so how does that feel? How does that make you feel? And so Vander gets taken away by the shimmer-enhanced, you know, lowlife from the end of the city, and then Vi and the rest of the crew try to rescue him. Vi tries to pressure Powder to stay behind because this is literally life or death. She doesn't think it's ready, which is understandable. But after Powder is able to, like, refine the Hextech stones that she was able to steal from the place back in episode one, she go ends up going out to try and help him anyways. It's really cool because, same deal, Vi picks up Vander's gauntlets that he let go back in the fi- at the beginning of the fight in episode one when Vi and Powder were just kids, but then you see Vi pick up the gauntlets for the first time, and for somebody that doesn't know the series, it's like, oh, cool. So she's picking up the gloves of her former mentor and now father figure to fight in his stead. And then for the rest of it, it's just kind of like, yeah, all of that, but this is the first time we're seeing Vi use gauntlets, and it's a hype as shit moment. And at the, and so the biggest piece is that I think the only thing that we had, because Vi and Jinx were not There were hints, a lot of pieces of info that were pointing towards Vi and Jinx being like legitimate siblings in the lore. But I believe that one of Jinx's earliest pieces of lore was that she was tinkering with one of her machines and it ended up exploding and killing her family. And that was like the base of it. We didn't know who her parents were. She just lost her family in an explosion. And the fact that they're still able to use that, use that one piece of information to the degree that Jinx, like the rest of the crew possibly could have gotten out alive like they were so close they had they had the hole out vander was like unshackled from the rest of his uh beings they were able to shut the door on the shimmer enhanced battery that was going through towards him and the door would have held but then jinx decides to use one of her monkey bombs and for the first time in the show it works and it's the worst time that ever could have happened and jinx ends up killing her family Not her parents, not the same deal, but she essentially resigns her newfound family to die and inadvertently kills both Milo and Clagger. And then we see Vander, like, the only one being able to be useful and, like, conscious after that explosion. He's able to, like, go down and, like, you see this man, like, reveled as the Hound of Zaun. And they keep saying, yeah, you could have done it. It's like, no, that's not... I'm not the kind of man like that. I'm not that kind of man anymore. You'll die for the cause, but you won't fight for it. But then he decides to fight for a cause that he thinks is worth believing in, and that is protecting the only family he has left in the form of Vi, and he goes on a tear. He is legitimately able to hold his own against a Shimmer-enhanced being until Silco stabs him in the back, and... Just if there's anything that I want to point out is that whenever the animation and the rest of this is great, like the macro, all the assets, the cities, the character models, the fights, everything is great. Something that this show does so incredibly well is facial expressions in the sense that whenever, regardless of how minute or how like grand they're supposed to be, they all do their job and they are all just ridiculous. Ridiculously effective at whatever the scene is trying to pull, especially with once Silco stabs Vander in the back, like the face that Vander makes at Silco realizing what he's done, that this is all his fault, like the blood, the swollen eye, the cuts, the teeth, the like disheveled hair and the absolute seething rage on his face. Is something that's just so terrifying in that semblance, and then reflected, of course, in Silco's face because Silco just is slack-jawed in awe at what Vander has like become. He's brought him back to his old houndish ways, in that he's like, "Yep, he he still knew that he had it in him," but he stabs him anyways and chucks him off the Vander. And so he ends up falling into a crate of shimmer after the majority of the stuff ended up exploding from Jinx's bomb. And then he ends up completely and utterly smashing the other, like, shimmer enhanced kid. And he has a choice left or right, Vi or Silco. They either all die, and he goes after Silco, and they go back in a semblance of flames. And it's only for a handful of seconds. He just immediately picks Vi and just saves her life in turn for his. And it was just kind of like, I knew it was coming. I knew that the the fact that Vi and Jinx had to talk after seeing that. But the fact that Jinx would just turn around the corner still, like, in awe. Like, once the explosion happened, like, she was in awe of the fact that, oh my god, something I made worked. Something actually ended up working for once. I'm not a failure. I'm not a burden. I'm not anything. I'm ecstatic. It's like, did you see that? It actually worked. Until she realizes that... Her friends have died. Vander has been, you know, poisoned and killed. Vi just starts blaming and berating her. And Jinx just breaks down in the sense that she realizes it takes her a bit, but she's only a child. And she realizes what that explosion did to everything revolving around her family. And she just can't come to terms with it. And she just loses it. And Vi loses it on her. And she punches her and throws her down to the ground and then just walks away. And before Vi can realize that she's made a mistake, before she can realize that even though the last thing that Vander told her was to protect her, she walked away, considering with all the grief and all the trials that she just went through over the past couple of minutes, it was completely understandable for her to walk away in that moment to forsake the last thing that she was able to protect. And she doesn't have enough time before she realizes that Silco is now going to meet with Jinx and that she has made a mistake, that she ends up getting dragged away by Marcus, otherwise Silco and his men would have killed her. Which then jumpstarts Silco being one of my favorite, if not my favorite, character of the entire show. In the sense that he was this, you know, very passionate, like, bullheaded goal-driven guy that he wanted to have their own independent nation of Zaun independent from Piltover. And he would do anything evil or anything, you know, apathetic to get what he wanted. And then that one moment happens where instead of killing Jinx, who he knew was attributed to Vander, who he knew was a child of his, he just drops the knife and embraces her, seeing a little bit of himself in her and just realizing that he's going to he's going to take her in and that she will bring a new kind of perspective as well as him being able to go through and just be like vengeful for the rest of it in the sense that they will show all of piltover what they're capable of and like that's only the first 3 episodes <laughs> it's just absolutely insane like if if i did have to say like the least eventful portion of this would have been Act 2, considering that we still have a lot of ground to cover, considering with the time skip that happens, and now that the Hextech gates are open, and that it's the majority of the stuff is going through, and that Jason and Victor are partners, and Jason ends up getting a seat on the council, and for the rest of it, everything just uh, like starts going way too well. Although we do get the growth of Caitlin and Vi's relationship, and just kind of like the small things... There, there are the small things, and then there are the very overt things. The, like the fact that, about how Vi literally just cabidons, uh Caitlyn inside the brothel down uh, in the lanes once Caitlyn gets her out of prison. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, no, only good friends do that. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, no, they're building, they're building them up towards each other, and I'm absolutely all for it. But this is definitely the part where it's like, okay... Popping off off of episode three, this is where the action starts going. This is where the fights and the choreography and the inevitable conflict that starts being played out is built in this. Considering that you get Jinx versus the Firelights inside of episode four. You get Vi versus Zvika, And like having it be like a really good hand-to-hand combat, like laying in for the rest of it. And Vi using her strength and using... Not necessarily the capabilities, but the fact that she's like still got it after being just trapped in a prison for years that she's been building up to fight and fight alone for the for anything that comes through in her life, which then leads to, you know, Vi and Jinx versus uh, the rest of the firelights in episode six. And so it's just kind of like there's this is where like there's all there, like from three onwards, there's a fight in every episode and they do a really good job because there's still a lot of like major plot beats that do happen for the rest of it in the sense that Jinx goes through and she steals one of the Hextech, the refined Hextech cores. Like she takes out a lot of like soldiers like surrounding the rest of it. We see how Caitlyn ends up becoming like a inexperienced enforcer for the rest of it and jace is like leading through the rest of that and how his relationship with victor is going and how victor is like translating and evolving through the rest of like how they're trying to figure out what they want to do with the next era of hextech it's definitely curious to see how that goes and it's kind of like my poor boy heimerdinger where he has a really big uh like part to play as the, the mentor that's lived for centuries he's still just like we understand why he's scared of magic and what it's possibilities are that they would be able to do and the kind of chaos damage and havoc they would be able to wreak but then it's just kind of like as soon as he tries to get in jason victor's way they all just like unanimously like take him off the council it's like don't do my don't do my furry boy like that like come on and so there is a lot of good setup there is a lot of like good Uh, world building and character building that we've been able to see like how the characters ended up reacting responding and evolving to the era of Hextech and through their new family relations and through their new semblance and it was really cool to see that and then we get to act three and then we're just like okay this is possibly like the best thing I've seen all year like it's like bar none I I thought I would have liked episode three more than I did episode nine but after re-watching like a handful of these episodes it's like no, there's just there, there's just no contest. Like nine is possibly the best episode of the of the entire show, like hands down. And everything leading up to that is just a constant build up of suspense, of conflict, of pressure, of like everything being going down this one road that will be headed with a choice. And a choice gets put with every single character. Does Jace end up deciding to? create hex tech weaponry does jinx decide to choose her family or her adoptive father does vi decide to go back and try and side with the rest of the people topside and piltover or does she try and save whatever family she's got left down inside of zon and it's also like the same deal just the character like the characters are easily like one of the strongest pieces in a entire production of strong pieces, of assets, of characters, of fights, of production, of of graphics, not graphics, of animation, of just everything, like, the character writing is one of the most stellar points of this entire series, and it's like, we end up getting that start where after Vi and Caitlyn get kidnapped by the Firelights, who are led, surprisingly, well, unsurprisingly, by Echo, depending on, depending on, like, if you were watching it, uh, or, like, your perspective or experience with the series, it was just kind of like, yeah, of course it's Echo. But, like, how Vi just casually, like, after talking with Echo and then just having their first conversation in years is just, like, simply, like, the best in the... sim. Like, even in the small things where it's just, like, Echo asks because Vi was with Jinx if she was working with Silco. And, the like, off the bat, like, like that is so insulting to Vi that she... Like, all she could respond to this is just, fuck you. You really think I would... the man who destroyed my family destroyed the lanes and like like fuck off and he was like why were you the jinx i had to be sure like it's totally understandable because echo was somebody who's forced to grow up he was forced to become a new safe haven for people who were like losing family and losing lives inside of the new way of the lanes that was being headed by silco and then just seeing how vi like seeing how much Echo has grown and the fact that he never stood up to her before that she just casually undoes her cuffs and gives Echo just like the, one of the best hugs in the entire series where an Echo like with his guard down, like finally embraces the hug and you see like a single tear go down his cheek. It's like, dude, uh," it's like, it's the small moments like that. It's a blink and you miss it. Like he, he cries for about two seconds on screen, but it's like, you feel that one tear crawl down his face and it's just god this show is so fucking good which then of course leads to them considering that they have they were able to get the core off of jinx they try to go through and bring it back to piltover they get ambushed by marcus because marcus is still working for silco and jinx ambushes all of them killing uh, marcus in the process leading to echo being able to hold off and put himself between jinx caitlin and vi And it's just kind of like, yo, dude, like, seriously, how Echo just blitzes through the smoke is, like, one of the best frames inside of this entire series. He looks like such a badass, and if you want to talk about him being a badass, like, just his entire quote-unquote fight, music video scene with Jinx, the boy savior, he just takes out the monocle, he smirks, and he starts, like, ticking his pocket watch back and forth especially with the soundtrack dude the soundtrack in this series is amazing all the background tracks like are able to put the right amount of ambiance with any of the scenes that it's able to go through it's really like setting up a like a good atmosphere and all of the insert songs that they decide to put in like bar maybe when vi is going up to fight savika in episode 5 where like they put out uh imagine dragging his enemy as she's like walking through the corridors like maybe that was a little forced but it's like every other song is just so fucking ridiculously well placed and well composed like it's just amazing and just that whole fight like i was going back and forth between russell and rhoda and it's just like they didn't need to go that hard they could have just literally shown like echo clicking on his pocket watch and going through and then quickly like fighting off of james but then they were like no we're just gonna make an extended minute long music video Like leading up to their inevitable conflict like at the end of it and like seeing and and seeing how they like transition and do different like scene compositions to the point where it's like it's it's teenage Jinx and then it's child Jinx like reimagining the firefights that they had as they were kids where Jinx would like try and shoot paintballs at Echo where Echo like had a sword and he had to dodge and try and get the Jinx. And, like, just just the entire, like, the song, the way that it was animated, the style, it was just balls-to-the-wall fucking insane. It was a, like, it was art. It was a glorious piece of art. And so then we get Eight. They realize that Jinx was able, even though Jinx lost the fight to Echo, she was able to, like, steal the Hextech Core, like, back from them before they were able to get, to get through. get and Sever some recuperating Hagen's house. And, like, the ship just continues to, like, sail stronger and stronger. And just kind of, like, seeing the like the tiny character moments that happen between the two of them are just, like, absolutely uh, just fantastic. Like, especially for the fact that once Vi leaves and Caitlyn is just having a shower and she's trying to, like, walk back the conversation that Vi ends up walking away from and the fact that Vi just wants her to forget about her. And she's trying to like walk back the conversation that she wants to like try and salvage and recuperate whatever they have left is just kind of like, Oh yeah, no, uh, like I I feel sad for you. I, I really do. But Vi ends up meeting with Jace, who is the only sense of, or at least because she wants to fight and Jace also like feels like they need to like give some effort of strength considering that how threatening, uh, like, the lanes, and in, in this case, Zon is getting. And we get... I'm trying to figure out if this is, like, my second favorite fight, possibly, of the, of the series, where it's, like, Vi and Jace call to action against, like, the Temkank... The, the Chemtank Shimmer Addicts that they use as guards for the majority of the processing plants for Shimmer. And so Vi and Jace are, like, back-to-back, back and Vi has her gauntlets, and Jace has his hammer, and everybody's just... It's a really fucking good fight scene on his own, but now it's just kind of like, yo, we're finally getting it. We're getting the champion weapons. We're getting their legitimate abilities. Like, Jace uses the transition from his hammer into his plasma gun. He ends up getting, like, the electrical field around him. He's able to do the knockback. Vi gets the charge. And Vi gets, like, the majority of the empowered punches that she gets whenever she, like, turns on her gauntlets. And it's like, oh my god, it's happening. It's fucking happening. Like, this, and, because it's just, yeah, it's fan service, but it's like, dude... They held off on those weapons for eight of nine episodes. The restraint and the patience on these people are fucking insane. And it works out so much better in the end. It was absolutely phenomenal. Up until Jace shoots a kid. And that's, that's when, like, I have never been, like, so whiplashed in my life whenever it comes to a piece of media. Considering that it was, like, I was just... Adrenaline's pumping, oh my god, it's hype, Jace and Fire fighting, they're going against the Chem Barons and the Chem Tanks, and they're doing like a really fucking cool action scene and everything's hype and everything's going through, and then Jace accidentally shoots a kid. And then the music cuts, the sound cuts, the kid gives one last exacerbated breath, falls from several stories above the ground, and then it cuts to black after he. you hear the crunch of him falling against the concrete. Everything freezes. That is how you do a transition. That is how you're able to, like, cut out or finish an action scene. And so after Caitlyn gets kidnapped by Vi and the Show, or, sorry, Caitlyn's kidnapped by Jinx, we end up jumping in episode 9. I do think it was kind of, like, a little weird where it's like, you are not leaving with those gauntlets. And then he just, like, give, like gives up a couple seconds later. It's like, you'll never do this alone, but, you know, I'd keep the gauntlets anyways, yeah, whatever. Like, that's one of the only, like, bad things I can say about the episode. Like, Heimerdinger ends up meeting Ekko in one of the previous episodes. We end up, like, we end up getting another Vista, or at least Heimerdinger is able to go through and see the firelight hide up for the first time, and he's incredibly astonished, like, just as we were. And then we get a really good standoff scene, where Jace ends up leaving a note after they destroyed one of the Shimmer facilities, and Silco comes to parlay with Jace at the border of town on a wall lined up with cannons facing out towards the open ocean and it's just like impeccable. Like that entire scene, the bartering, the way that Jace is experienced, but like with the knowledge of the fights that he was able to just recently have, it's just that, yeah, no, I'm inexperienced and I'm not really good with any of this fighting stuff, but I fought one of your biggest strongholds today and I figured out that you guys are fucked. He wouldn't stand a chance. Like, we would wipe you off the face of the earth. The council wouldn't even give less of two shits about you. But I want to make a truce, and I want to make sure that we don't have to go through this war. And so he goes through with everything on Silco's lists, and all Jace wants at the end of the day is Jinx. He hand- All he has to do is hand over Jinx, and he gets on. He gets his independence. He gets the dream that he has been working towards for more than a decade what, one of my favorite scenes, like, I know it's not too long, like, fit between everything else related to the series, one of my favorite scenes, easy, is when Silco is now just grappling with the choice. All he has to do is give up Jinx. All he has to do is give up his sur- surrogate daughter, and he will have everything that he has been fighting for. All of it will come to him, and all that's all he has to do is give her up. He didn't even haggle. All he would lose was problems. All he would lose is problems. And he can't do it. It's because it's so... The parallels in this show. Like, if there's any motif or any, like, little piece of writing that I love between between, like, any of my forms of media, it's parallels. Whether it's literally just Silco sitting at this fountain of a monument to Vander. And he's finally coming under the realization as to why Vander would die rather than fight for a cause. Die and protect anything that he was able to hold dear. And he finally realizes that as he's talking to his statue. And he pours out a drink too. Like, I absolutely love the tiny moments in that. He just pours a bit of his drink out into the fountain as a service to Vander. Is there anything so undoing as a daughter? I love that line. Talking about good lines too... Jace comes back after talking with Silco, after Victor essentially tried to control or, like, augment his body more with the corrupted hex core that is essentially doing more harm than good at this point, the one that ended up killing his own assistant, Skye, he he drops her ashes into the river that he met her all those years ago, and he's about to commit suicide, and then... Chase walks in and he's like, am I interrupting? Just as Victor did back in episode two. And it's just like, the parallels. It all comes full circle. And it's just so fucking good, dude. I absolutely fucking love it. It's, uh, like, it was so good. I'm, like, talking about great lines. In the pursuit of great, we failed to do good. Like, it's just so good, dude. Victor is such a good character in this series. It's like, Victor, it's Silco. Like, two of the top three, easy, like... Oh my god. Like, on top of, like, one of Victor's, like, best scenes, in the sense that once he's able to get some shimmer from Singed after Singed uh, ends up, like, he finds Singed after he, uh, like, survived the explosion, and he uses the shimmer, and he's able to reconstruct his leg to, like, a, to a different entity or composition, the leg that he used to have a limp with. for the fr- And so he ends up going down to the docks, and he drops his cane and he starts walking and he like gains his stride back and he and his new leg isn't limping anymore and he's getting a basic walk and he's picking up a stride and for possibly the first time in his life he starts running he runs down the ports with a fucking beautiful night sky and a starlit backdrop just exaggerating and emphasizing one of the Like, possibly one of the most important moments in Victor's life. The fact that he knows that this is possible. It was just absolutely insane. Like, just one... Like, small moments in the grand scheme of things, but massive moments from the scale of one character. It is something that this show does exceptionally well. And so the whole dinner that this show culminates with, with Jinx after coming close to death... After being incredibly complete, uh, like erratic and negative, and not being able to find her place or her ideals in this new world that's forming around her, she was since she was able to kidnap Vi after she fought uh, Svika, She was able to kidnap Van or Silco after he talked to v- Vander Statue. He kidnapped Kate- she kidnapped Caitlyn at the end of episode eight. But I, but I guess I'll just go through, or, or at least this, just quickly noting, like, the fights in this series, like, just so, okay, they did a really good job. Like, it, it was more of a thematic moment in Episode three's fight with Vi versus the rest of them, and then Vander versus, uh, like, the rest of the Shimmer and the gang, and then it's like, okay, then we get Jinx's crew versus the Firelight crew in Episode 4, and then we get Vi's first fight versus Vika in Episode 5. And then we get Vi and Jinx meeting for the first time, but they end up getting cut back because they have to fight the Firelights at the end of the day. And it's like, oh yeah, no, those are totally fine. And then Vi versus... And then Echo versus Jinx happens. And it's like, oh, there's no way they can top this. And then Jason Vi versus the chemtank happens. It's like, oh no, there's no way they can top this. And then Vi, with her gauntlets, Vika with her empowered arm, a second time. And it's like oh, this might be one of my favorite, like, one-on-one fight scenes in history. Like, it is so ridiculously, like, it goes ham, it goes hard. And, like, the small story beats that happen in the middle of the fight, like, too, where it's just kind of, like, Vi... Punches Svika against a wall. She's exhausted. Takes off one of her gauntlets. Swigs back whiskey. Chucks the empty whiskey glass at Sweeka, Puts her gauntlets back. Punches them together. Lifts up a pool table and punches it like at Svika that's hanging up against the wall. It's like, how do you storyboard that? Like, like how do you just come up with that? It's like, okay, drink, pump up, punch. It's just so fucking ridiculously like well choreographed, well storyboarded. Like even, like even. Vander, like, coming back and giving Vi some, like, helpful tips, considering that Vi is just getting her absolute shit kicked in. It was just, like, on top of Vi's passive coming in at the end of the day, with all the runes, like, giving her the protection she needs for her to put the finishing touch on Sfica. Dude, that's like everything. Everything was lined up so fucking well. And so at the end of the day, Vi, Caitlin, Jinx, and Silco at a dinner table with Jinx for the first time in the series she's the head of the table. She is the one in control of the scene. She is going to be the one that dictates any major change that happens from here to the end of the series. Also the fact that she, I don't know, anybody who's seen the movie Seven, where it's just kind of like, wait, she's just going to, I visited your girlfriend yesterday. Here's a chilled platter in the middle of the table and it's like, yeah, and of course it's like no you didn't but it's just kind of like yo the fact that they had the balls to insinuate that it's just like I'm not that fucking dark are you serious oh my god but just the entire conflict after Caitlin is able to escape her bonds after she's uh Silco is just trying to figure out where it's just like no I would have never given it to you and Vi is just trying to tell her to run off it's like we can go we can run we can leave we can do anything we can just leave this all behind and go but Jinx can't accept it. And so once Caitlyn tries to get the jump on Jinx, but Jinx retaliates and Jinx is about to kill Caitlyn, just the entire like shouting match that happens between Vi and Silco trying to get Jinx to not commit the murder and to just not, and, and to keep her alive. But she's just having an internal struggle trying to keep herself in the moment, trying to just get out of it. And what ends up finally doing it is that Silco finds Jinx's gun and points it on Vi, and in that moment, Jinx chooses Vi over Silco, and she guns down Silco, but regardless of what she had to do to protect Vi, she's still broken, because arguably, in comparison, Silco was the most important father figure that she'd had throughout the rest of her life, considering that her first father left early And her second father, Vander, didn't really give as much attention to her as he did to Vi. And then she has to kill Silco before he killed Vi. Like, this girl, on top of, like, being close to death, on top of, like, being abandoned by her family, on top of losing her father figure again, like, this is the third that she's lost in her life. She's lost her third father figure, and she's not even, like, in her 20s. Like... Jesus Christ, that's traumatizing. And even at the end of the day, even with how shitty, how vile of a person Silka was, it's like the one genuine thing that you could have taken from any of his interactions is that he genuinely loved Jinx as a daughter. And just the last few words that he's able to say to her is just that he wouldn't have given them Jinx. He wouldn't have given her to up. She wouldn't. He wouldn't have had his own independent nation of Zahn he wouldn't have given it all up just for her and like and the fact that just don't cry you're perfect is just like dude that tears me up inside every single time it comes on and so what was really cool is that after she was able to cry all of her tears for Silco after she was able to get up with the gun she looked calm she looked like she was in control and not sporadic or just completely out of her own it's the first time that she felt like she had any semblance of control in her life, and she decides to pick Jinx over Powder. She decides to pick herself over Vi and whatever relationship she had left. And so she rebels in the new them, the new pair of sisters. And she fires off what is essentially a Hextech missile at the Council's table just as Jace and Victor were able to convince the council to give Zon its independence. And then the missile hits the window, and it cracks, and the fucking season ends. And I lost my shit. <laughs> it's, I had no patience. I had no, like, way for me to just sink back into my chair and absorb what just happened. I, like, I popped the fuck off my chair. And I was just so ridiculously ecstatic as to how the series was able to end the balls on Fortiche, the balls on Riot Games to end the first season on that cliffhanger. And even though we know that Arcane is going to be getting a second season that'll come out around 23 or 24, regardless of the fact that we know that it's coming, it still hurts, but it's still like just fills me with such hype and such reverence, the fact that Riot is actually sticking with this series. Riot is going to commit to Arcane being a long-running franchise relating to their lore because regardless of what League of Legends is as a player-based experience, it's lore, it's external game modes, it's videos, it's fighting games like it's music it's composing it's directing everything outside of the game in particular is just such top-notch consistent productions which is kind of hilarious because it's like riot games i it, it they should might as well at this point not be a video game company they might as well just be a multimedia company at this point or just label themselves as such because it's just like what they've been able to accomplish outside of just the basic Riot Games and League of Legends function, like like Valorant, with Wild Rift uh, on mobile, with the fighting game that they're going to be unveiling sometime next year, with all of the music videos and the mini productions that they made, and then finally, to top it all off, Arcane being possibly the best animated show of the year. I mean, it's a good time to, like, be a Riot Games fan, it is a good time to be an animation fan, and for sure it is a good time to be a League of Legends lore fan, in particular. It's not, a good time to, it's, not, it's not a good time to be a fan of the game, but with all the productions and with all the stuff that Riot Games is going to be putting out over the next couple of years, I'm really excited, not only to show this and try and sell this to anybody who's interested in trying to like find anything related to the animated medium, I'm really excited to see how Riot and their relations to all their multimedia projects moving forward is going to evolve. And like many others, I cannot wait for the second season to come out with just all the potential that they have. All of the lore, all of the champions, all of the different countries, all the different storylines. Just everything that Fortiche and Riot has to work with at their disposal. Like, it's just... It's an exciting time. It is a really exciting time. Have a good night.